What's up out there, everybody? Welcome again to Wise Guys Hideaway with your host here, Ian Barr. And today I'm going to be talking about the real-life Don Corleone, Frank, the Prime Minister Costello. Before we get into that, I'm going to give my shout-outs real quick. Shout-out to Our Thing Clothing and Apparel with Ronnie the Cockroach, Gunnar Lindblom, David Randazzo, all those guys over there. Shout-out to David Brexpire, all my friends and family listening, Boston Rob, you know. Big shout-out to Scott M. Bernstein, proprietor of the original Gangster Podcast. Got a new episode coming out soon. Drop by, give it a listen. And uh, we're going to get this thing rolling for you. Now, born in Calbrea, Italy, in uh, a little place called Cassano Allo Lononi, uh, Frank Costello was actually born Francelia Costello, uh, which is, you know, the Sicilian version for his name. He would eventually change it to Frank Costello and almost kind of Irish up his name in a weird way. Uh, it's kind of an odd choice, but it, it did sound more Americanized and a little easier to pronounce. And I mean, Costello always considered himself a businessman. And, I mean, probably wanted to make it easier for people to pronounce his name. Now, he immigrated here with his mother and his little brother, Edward, um, around the time of, you know, him being seven or eight. And on the trip over here, actually, Frank was kept in a cooking pot on the boat, believe it or not. Now, they would join his father on the east side of Harlem in New York. Uh, His father had immigrated over a little while before and opened up a grocery store. Now, I didn't make very much money, and Costello always you know, kind of hated his father for just sort of accepting the poverty that his family was, you know, forced to live in. And so at around 13, the young man decided that he, uh, he was going to join a gang and begin a career on the streets. Now it's not necessarily what he wanted, but it is the only life he saw to get himself out of this horrible state of being poor that he just, he just couldn't fathom you guys. Like Frank Costello was never, ever okay with not being super super well off and like able to live comfortably i mean most people aren't but he was he was definitely on a whole nother level of uncomfortable with it now he's arrested uh for assault and robbery in 1908 1912 and 1917 uh he just you know these early years he's just out there he's getting in trouble he's running around he's committing crimes he's running with all sorts of hoodlums and he sort of tries to settle down in 1918 when he meets uh marie <clears throat> Marie La, <clears throat> excuse me, you guys, Marie La, Loretta Geigerman, uh, a Jewish girl, uh, but unfortunately it doesn't, it doesn't take, he's arrested like a mere 10 months later for carrying a concealed weapon permit, but it's actually when he decided that he was not going to be a gun carrying gangster anymore, it's just not who Frank Costello was, you could always pretty much catch him unarmed, he usually had a guy or two around who did have a piece on them, but that would, you know, serve to be a big problem in his life down the road, uh, Eventually, he starts working for the Morello gang, and Costello begins a lifelong partnership with a Lower East Side Sicilian uh, and a rising star in the underworld known as Charlie Lucky Luciano. We all uh, know about him from my previous podcast, or just from, you know, not living under a rock for the last hundred years. But along with Luciano, uh, Costello joins Genovese and Tommy Lucchese, who also joined two other Jewish gangsters in the neighborhood, uh, Lansky and Bugsy Siegel. Now, Genovese did not care for Lansky or or Siegel. He didn't like working with Jews. He was a very old school, even though he was young at the time, he was a very old school Sicilian type of guy. He he didn't believe that the Sicilians should mix business with, I mean, at one point he said, you know, what are you trying to do, lump us in with a bunch of hebes? And actually, Costello is the one who stepped in and told Genovese, like, look, you ain't nothing but a fucking immigrant yourself, you know? Genovese didn't really pipe up after that. But the the tension was always kind of there between the two of them. Now, all of these guys, I've said before and I'll say again, were all mentored by the same man. 
Arnold the Brain Rothstein, who was a huge time gambling racketeer, bookmaker, and uh, extortion runner all throughout New York, and was allegedly the guy who fixed the you know nineteen nineteen World Series. Uh, eventually, in nineteen twenty two, Costello joins uh, Joe the Boss Mazzaria's family uh, with Lucky Luciano, and begins you know running various bootlegging schemes. As soon as Prohibition hit, you know Rothstein really took these guys under his wing, and you know sort of was trying to teach them the ropes. Uh, Costello was definitely a businessman at heart, though, because along, along with his Sicilian and Jewish friends, he also formed very close alliances with Hell's Kitchen's Irish gangs that were run by, you know, Oni the Killer Madden and William Big Bill Dwyer and, uh, also, you know, Dutch Jolts. Now, eventually in 1925, Costello becomes a U.S. citizen and begins actually legally going under the name Frank Costello until... About November 19, 1926, Costello's having a pretty good run of things, but eventually him and uh, Big Bill Dwyer are indicted on bootlegging charges, and after bribing two U.S. Post Guards, or after bribing two U.S. Coast Guards uh, to let, you know, millions and millions of dollars of liquor flow freely, they, uh, then it eventually catches up with him. Costello doesn't see anything of this, you know, he's, he's got pretty good political connections through Rothstein and stuff, however, Big Bill Dwyer does get two years. And eventually, Costello sort of takes over what was Big Bill Dwyer's. Now, this creates a big conflict with a guy by the name of Charlie Higgins, who was a a soldier for Dwyer and thought that that Dwyer's should be be theirs. Like, what was controlled by Dwyer should be theirs. So at this point, you know, Costello, along with Oni Madden, Dutch Schultz, you know, all the Irish guys, their their little, you know, alliance, it it sort of comes to an end. They, uh, They didn't appreciate Frank's greed. I mean, if you ask Frank all the way along, he always fancied, you know, to call himself a businessman. Or as, I mean, he liked to call he called himself a sportsman. I mean, this guy dressed like a, an old-time English, you know, millionaire tycoon more than a gangster. You know, with the checkered jackets, and he smoked very expensive cigarettes. And, I mean, he just, he really did privy himself kind of almost above everybody he was working with, except I think like Lansky and Luciano and things like that. I know he considered himself above Genovese. He thought Genovese was a fucking head knocker that he, I I don't think he thought Genovese was very smart. And, uh, uh, I mean, I don't personally think he was right. I think Genovese was just ruthless and I mean, definitely prejudiced, but like, I do think Genovese was still smart in his own ways. But I mean, Costello really viewed him as like just some knock around guy, but I mean, that would, that would, that would definitely come to a head later on down the road. Now, eventually, uh, spoiler alert for the future podcast of Arnold Rothstein, he will be killed due to his, his gambling notoriety at a card game uh, uh, in November of 1928. Now, after this happens, Costello, you guys, he, he takes over all of Rothstein's political connections from Tammany Hall. I mean, he just fucking snags up everything he can at Rothstein's. He also takes over his bookmaking operations as well and really starts to uh, move forward you know, with his criminal endeavors. Now, before any of this would happen, though, it's, it is funny, uh, a little side story, how Frank Costello lost his virginity was to his landlady, who he owed money. And uh, and it's funny, too, because he, he didn't want to pay her in that way, but she got him drunk and took advantage of her. And he he said that, you know, the more I drank, you know, the longer and more beautiful her hair got. So whenever, like down the road, whenever like people would ask him, like you know, permission on something or some sort of opinion on something, he would say her hair is getting long and beautiful, and that would mean like 
he didn't want to go, he didn't want to go forth with it. There was no way in hell he wanted to go forth with it. So that just, I just a little side story that I thought was kind of, uh, kind of funny that I had seen in a documentary the other day when I was, you know, rehashing Frank Costello in my brain for this episode. Cause he's really not one of my more <clears throat> favored individuals, I guess you could say in organized crime. I picture him as a very astute businessman and a brilliant racketeer and an excellent gambler, but he just not, he didn't have that edginess for me, I guess. He wasn't really like, I don't know. He just, he seemed like he fell into the mob when he really shouldn't have. Kind of, for me. I mean, a lot of people are going to disagree. And a lot of people think the best boss of all time was Frank Costello. But I just, I don't know. Not for me personally. He was, however, the first one to use uh, planes for bootlegging. And he, I mean, he was the first one to do a lot of things, you guys. Frank Costello was very, very smart. I'm not trying to undermine him or say that he's stupid in any way or like that I don't think that he should have been. I just don't. I just don't feel like the mob was for him. And in fact, he didn't feel like the fucking mob was for him. He oftentimes didn't really aspire to be the boss. Because when Luciano uh, eventually goes away to prison, he leaves control to, you know, Frank Costello, who didn't really want... I mean, initially it's left to Vito Genovese. But Genovese soon after goes to jail because Genovese just was fucking in and out of prison his entire time, his entire life. And after that, when Luciano was kind of sifting around, who should I give the job to... Uh, I mean, it landed on Costello. Who else are you going to trust? You can't, I mean, you can't trust too many people. <clears throat> in December of 1925, uh, Costello took a very hard blow when the Coast Guard uh, encountered and smashed $40 million worth of liquor of his uh, coming into the harbor. I mean, but he, I mean, he would bounce back. He took, he took losses like that all the time. But just to think that like, 40 million dollars you guys can you imagine you have a 40 million dollar investment coming and next thing you know it's just getting smashed up by fucking the coast guard and you're i mean i don't know if he was watching it on the news or how he found out probably the papers but ah i just be i would be so pissed off when i when i read that i just i almost lost it for him but i mean ever the collective frank costello i mean he fucking he bounced back as always you know he, I mean, he mingled with celebrities, but he, his real passion, I feel like, was, was politicians. I mean, he, I mean, he would even at one point share a room with Jimmy Hines in Chicago, uh, during a, during a campaign and would even meet, uh, Roosevelt at one point by, from Jimmy Hines, who introduced him as a, you know, very astute businessman. So Frank Costello was always kind of this mysterious figure in organized crime. Like people, people were pretty sure about him but they were unsure about him as well, you know, I mean, a lot of people say that he couldn't be ruthless, but I mean, but he would prove his allegiance to organized crime time and time again when it really needed to happen, when the Murder Inc. hitman, uh, which was the Jewish group of contract killers uh, in the early, in the early days of the mob when the commission first formed, when they had a turd coat, uh, Abe Kid Twist Relis, who was, you know, planning on telling all the stories about Murder Inc. and everything to a, to a, you know, a, a jury, uh, he was held up and he was guarded very, very heavily. And the only person who could use his political connections and ties to end up paying off the cops who were guarding his room was Frank Costello. And he did just that. And on November 12, 1941, a, a kid to his relatives took a fall out of a window and, uh, nobody knew what happened. You know, police were supposed to have been quote unquote guarding his room all night, but they, uh, they apparently, you know, fallen asleep according to them. But, you know, it is what it is, and, uh, I mean, Kid Twist had it coming anyway, and we'll do an episode about him at some point down the road, but, yeah, 
Now, Costello was a, a man of very, very strict schedule. I mean, from the time he was, you know, a, a young street hood all the way up until he inherits the family from Luciano once Genovese goes to jail. I mean, he, he would get up in the morning and he would privy the Central Park Zoo, you know. He would go for lunch. He would go to the Wardorf, have a manicure and shave, you know, and then back to Central Park West, you know, one of his favorite restaurants for dinner. He was a, he was a man of, of leisure and a very, very extravagant taste. He was definitely what people would call today a brand whore, you know. He enjoyed the finer things in life, and not that there's anything wrong with that. He just, some people felt he was too greedy. Some of his people felt he was too greedy. I mean, along with, along with that, you guys, I mean, he would host extravagant, you know, uh, soirees at his, at his, you know, up, you know, very upscale home. And he would have all sorts of people there, business tycoons, politicians, uh, very few gangsters ever though. You know, he's like, really like the original, you know, Paul Castellano, uh, which who, who will have an episode down the road as well, if you don't know who that is, but they were, like I said, they were really more racketeers than gangsters. They, the, the mafia just kind of fell into their laps because of their heritage. Because he he really despised the fact that he was with organized crime sometimes, I think. I mean, for one, he hated his real horse voice. Frank Costello talk real low and real horse. And he hated that. He could not stand that about himself. Uh, and that, that wasn't all his fart or all, uh, you know, East Coast accent. He actually had a botch operation trying to get polyps out of... Uh, I don't know his, if it was his windpipe or what it was, but it, I mean, you know, back in those days, it, it was pretty easy to botch fucking operations. Doctors weren't as good as they are nowadays. You know what I mean? Now, Frank Costello knew one thing and one thing only though. And that was to steal. I mean, he was quoted once as saying like all he ever knew he stole. If he liked how you held a cigarette, he would steal it. You know, he, he would steal how you'd hold a cigarette because he thought it looked more elegant. He would steal how you said something because he thought it sounded good. He would steal... And I mean, that's just like, that's just a photographic memory, in my opinion, to me, you know, like you see how somebody does something and you see it work amongst the crowd and you decide like, Hey, I'm going to do that. That's just, I mean, that's a pretty incredible, you know, set of skills on its own. Now, Frank Costello was, I mean, I think the very first, uh, probably not the last, but definitely one of the few mob bosses or mobsters period who ever seen a psychiatrist. He was suffering from insomnia and depression. He, uh, I mean, there were, there's different, you know, rumors that he may have had suicidal te tendencies or thoughts, who knows, but his therapist, I mean, if, if this was a real therapist, he'd be like, no, you know, you're still, you're, you're still a sociopath. Like there's nothing I can do for you because if you've made it this far in organized crime, you've definitely had to, you know, shift your morals a little bit, but the therapist ever, you know, ever being what a therapist is, you know, just tells him to widen his social circle and maybe befriend nicer people. Yeah, that's real easy to say when you're the boss of, you know, the Luciano family. You know, yeah, thanks, Doc. But now, eventually, Vino Genovese ends up getting out of jail. And he's really done with Costello. He starts, you know, sort of knocking Costello at every turn. And eventually, he figures, fuck it, I'm taking, I'm taking my shot. I want... I want the family. I deserve the family. It shouldn't belong to somebody like Frank Costello. It should belong to me. And so on May 2nd, 1951, he sends Vincent the Chengigante, a future boss of what will become the Genovese family. Uh, but at this time, just a, you know, just a low rank associate or soldier, actually, matter of fact. And uh, Chengigante corners Costello in the lobby of his apartment building around 11 p.m. And as Frank Costello is going <laughs> towards the stairs or to enter the elevator, 
I'm not sure which, actually. Thinking back on it, I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, it's one of the two, though. The Chen Gigante steps out of a corner in the shadows, says, This one's for you, Frank, and fires a gun at his head. Now, Costello is skimmed across his head, but doesn't die. The Chin does think he hits him, and he flees, and Costello will live. Now, when eventually it's all brought to trial, and the Chen is, is you know, apprehended and brought forward, uh, Costello says he, he didn't see who shot him. And as he's walking out of the court, the Chen stands up, and he shakes his hand, and, you know, he says, you know, thanks, Frank. You know, I mean, which still goes to show that Frank Costello did have the code of Omerta. You know, you do, you don't, you don't speak on it. I don't know who shot me, even though you know he looked right in the chin's eyes. And, uh, this one's for you, Frank. Bop. You're like, you fucking know who shot you. I would know who shot me anyway. I'd be, I'd be furious. But ever, ever the calm Costello, you know, he will eventually retire from the mob and be like, you know what, Vito, you want it? Fuck it. It's yours. You know, like I, I've made enough money. Why do I need these headaches? You know what I mean? I mean, Frank Estelle was just that type of guy, though, you know, I mean, between that and making the cover of Times Magazine, when he was brought in front of the Senate committee, and uh, they they were railing him up and down, you know, as they did with, with many mobsters at that time, uh, and they asked him, you know, what have you ever done for the country, Frank Costello, you know, looks him dead in the face, and he says, I, you know, I'll pay my taxes, I mean, he would eventually be convicted on tax evasion, so that would definitely turn around and bite him in the ass, but I mean, the, I mean, the crowd laughs, you know, I mean, then everybody there that's, you know, true, there to watch, you know, watch the hearing go on, I mean, they all get a chuckle out of it, he was just that type of guy, now, he'll serve a total of around, I don't know, two and a half, three years, you know, not all in once for the tax evasion, but eventually he finishes his entire, you know, sentence and every, you know, all his legal problems in 1957. Now, they rumor that he's going to be deported and they debate it and they toss it around a lot. Now, eventually on June 1961, he's, you know, he's released on, you know, everything and all his legal problems are done, but he's not deported. So he does get to stick around in the country and he's very excited about that. And he begins talking to an author about writing a book about his life. However, he'll never get to finish it because on February 18th, 1973, Costello dies of a heart attack at a, at a, at a decent age for a, a one-time mob boss. He dies at 82 and uh, the book will never get wrote. Now, throughout the years, he'd be dubbed a couple things. He'd be dubbed the prime minister of the mob just because of, you know, just the way he handled himself. And then eventually in his later years, he'd be dubbed Uncle Frank because, I mean, that's just how he treated everybody. He treated everybody like he was your fucking uncle. It's Uncle Frankie, you know? And even though he's not one of my favorite mobsters, all I can say about Frank Costello is that there's nothing wrong I can say about Frank Costello except that maybe he should have ended up in a legitimate you know, world instead of the mob, you know, he'd have been a great CEO to a corporation, he'd have retired after 30 years from GM, and he'd have been living the fucking high life, but it's not the, it's not the life he fell into, well, that's all for us here at Wise Guys Hideaway, stay tuned, and, uh, thanks for listening, everybody.